Let's now turn in our Bibles to the first chapter of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. read the entirety of the chapter, and the text is verses 1 and 2, begun a series in the first 11 chapters of Genesis and Heritage, and this is the first sermon in that series. Genesis chapter 1, let's hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. 
and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. As far as we read God's word, The text which I will reread at this time is verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, a question that you and I ought to ask when we look at a book of the Bible, or as we begin studying that book of the Bible, is what is the unique significance of this book of the Bible? And the unique significance of the book of Genesis as a whole is that it is a book of beginnings, beginnings. And you see that already right here in Genesis chapter 1. It's a book of beginnings in the sense of here we have the start of the whole universe that God has made. You have, too, the beginning of sin. Man, of course, is to blame for sin. And you have the beginning of after that, of this great battle between light and darkness. You have the beginning of the gospel. You children 
probably could recite if I asked you Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the mother promise. Gospel shines gloriously there. You have the historical realization. These, of course, are eternal realities, but you have the historical realization in Genesis of election and reprobation. You have the beginning of a second world. That is, flood comes, and now after the flood, you have a second world. There's a beginning. And also, when you get a little bit farther on in the book of Genesis, you have the beginning of the children of Israel. God is starting to form a people. What we do this morning is we go to the very dawn of beginnings, the very dawn of history itself to the very first second of the first day that there ever was. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I'm going to try to stutter a few things this morning. But you must understand what we have before us is a miracle. It's a miracle. Can't call it anything else. And by faith, a faith which God has all of his grace given to you and to me, we believe this miracle that God performed called creation. Let's look at this then under the theme, God created the heaven and the earth. And we'll have four points here. It's a little bit different. They all have the same wording, but we're looking at different things within that wording. First, God created the heaven and the earth. Second, God created the heaven and earth. Third, God created the heaven and earth. And then fourth, no underlining or emphasis. The whole thing is emphasized with an exclamation mark. God created the heaven and earth. And we'll look at a few points of significance under that fourth point. God, says Genesis 1 verse 1, created the heaven and earth. Now when you talk about this whole matter of creation, let's not start, first of all, with what God did, the act. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's start within God himself. That's where you need to start. In God's eternal counsel. The children, when we talk about God's eternal counsel, we're simply talking about God's plan. And it's not a plan that's found inside time, but it's a plan that's found outside of time. This is something that he has eternally determined to do. Included in God's plan, one part of it, is that he will make a whole universe. And doesn't that teach us already No one forced God to do what he did here in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. He was not compelled to do this. He did it because he was pleased to do it. That's all. 
Now, God has this eternal counsel, this plan included in that is to create heaven and earth. And when he actually does that, that's simply the unfolding or the carrying out of his eternal counsel. And that's what God did. He unfolded that part of his plan of creation. Creation is an act of God. It's a work of God in which he gave existence to the universe. That word create means to shape something, form something. And right there that tells you something about God, and we'll revisit this later. He's the master builder. He's the divine architect and former and designer if you will. Shaped, he formed with a great skillfulness the heaven and the earth. And now we come to something, beloved, that is utterly astounding. Before God created, there was absolutely nothing. And it was out of that absolute nothingness that he made something. You ladies, when you get behind the counter to bake something, even if you say, what I made here is from scratch, you always have ingredients. You don't start with nothing. There was always something. And when we men set out, let's say, to build a shed, and we're going to do this all on our own, there's always something that we start with. There has to be. But what is so amazing about what God did is there was nothing, and out of that nothingness, here's the heaven and the earth, here's this whole universe. And that's why I tell you, I'm going to try to stutter a few things, but this is a miracle. Very, very amazing. It was the triune God who made heaven and earth. Now we're going to get to this later when we talk about God himself who's the maker, but this does have something to do with the very act of creation, the fact that the triune God made this all. Look at verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. When you go to the original language and you look at that word God, it's actually in the plural. And you say, well, why would the word God be plural? We know that there are not many gods. The heathen believe that, but they're wrong. And that's certainly true. There are not many gods. But the word God is in the plural because it means the triune God. Three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one God, three persons in one being. And isn't that significant? Because in the very first verse of the Bible, you have the second person of the Trinity, the Son, what sometimes Scripture calls the Word, the eternal Word. You don't have to go all the way a few chapters in, and you certainly don't have to go to the New Testament 
defined in Scripture, the Son. He's right here in the first verse of the Bible. And if you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, before I read that verse, it's the verse is referring to God's dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood. And it says there in verse 16 about God's dear Son this, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You can't even read the first verse of the Bible without seeing Christ there. Triune God made these things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you wanted to relate that, you could put it this way. The Father, first person, spoke the word. He's the second person. And then the Holy Spirit carried out what the Father said in that word. So one more time, the Father spoke the word and then the Holy Spirit carried out what the Father said in that word. That's how you can think of it, that the triune God, all three persons are active in creation. Also in this whole matter of what God did, created, heaven and earth, is when he did that. When. And the verse 1 begins very simply but profoundly, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That beginning is the very first moment of the very first day that there ever was in history. Think about that. We're brought, as I said, to the very dawn of everything. And it's at that very first split second that there ever was, that is when God made this heaven and earth, this universe. Which must mean, by the way, that it was at that exact beginning that God also created time. I think sometimes we are under the impression that time has always been around. But it hasn't. Even time itself is a creature of God. It's something that he made. And it was right at that beginning that he made this creature called time, which means that before the beginning... That's not even really a proper way of saying it because before is a time word, but I speak as a man. Before the beginning, there were no seconds and minutes and hours and days and months and years. And right at this exact beginning and onward, then you have seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, and years. God created time itself. What is that? Then, that in this tremendous miracle he made, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's what he made. And before we get to that, just one comment. 
as far as approach is concerned, when you're looking at verse 1, there are some people who read Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and they say this. That's really a title or a summary of everything else that comes in Genesis chapter 1. In other words, verse 1 includes everything that you find in all the six days. Verse 1 is just a summary of it all. But those who take that position and approach are wrong. This is not a summary of everything that comes after it in verse 1. Rather, verse 1 is a distinct part of God's creative act. This is what he actually did in that first moment of that first day. And what he made there, part of it, is heaven. Heaven is what's above the earth. That's probably the most simple way to describe it. Everything that's above the earth. So what God created here would include the sky that you can see overhead with your naked eye. Although... The sky as we see it, after you get out of church, is not the same as it was when God created it right here. It's a little bit different. Included in heaven also is not only the sky that you can see with your naked eye, but above that, what we would consider to be outer space. Again, at this moment in time, there are no sun, moon, and stars because that's going to come later in the creation week. So outer space looked different now than it did at this time, but that's part of what God made. What that would look like at the beginning of this first day is hard to imagine. Probably this huge black expanse, but outer space. But also included in heaven, what God made here, is not only the sky overhead and the outer space above it, but the heaven of heavens, glory. God created that too at this time. And we have a lot of questions about heaven, don't we? We can't see it with these eyes. And we don't even know where it is. But even though we've never seen it with these eyes and we don't know where it is, it is a real place. And it even has a history to it. There was a time when Satan had access into heaven. Read the book of Revelation. Now he no longer has access to heaven. There was a time when the first child of God, as to his soul, was brought there, Abel. And then after that, a whole lot of more of God's people brought there as to their soul. A real place with a real history. That's what heaven is that God created here. We know that it's the abode of the angels, that it's God's dwelling place, and that it's our home to which we're taken when we die. God made that heaven on the first day. Not only heaven, but the text says he created earth. That's the end of verse 1 heaven and the earth, and then what verse 2 is really doing is explaining more about that earth. It says, and the earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The earth that God made the first moment of the first day was without form and void. It was formless and it was empty. That's what those two words mean. Now, that's not to say that there was no substance to it. There was substance. There was something that God made. And it's not to say either that it was completely empty. There was something there. But when it says without form and void, it means that there was not yet at this point any specific and formed creatures that God had made yet. You have a a, a sort of formless mass in that sense. Later on, God is going to make a whole beautiful, orderly, specific creatures creation, but it's not at that point yet. And in that sense, without form and void. Doesn't mean either that what God made here was imperfect. Of course it was perfect and and, and in wisdom, and it was good. It's just simply to say, God is an orderly God, and he's going to start with this. Now, what did this really look like? And again, it's hard to tell. Verse 2 gives us a few clues. There was a lot of water that's mentioned, in fact, two times. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, that's water, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So this is a very watery creation of God, this earth is. And because it's called earth, there must be something substantive, something solid to it as well. And covering it all is darkness, as verse 2 says. We had a storm. Lots of wind come through a couple of weeks ago. And the dust was blowing in the sky. And I don't know if it was like that out here, like it was in Sioux Falls, but it looked like it turned night at about 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening. And sometimes you can go out into the country where there are no city lights and all you have is maybe the stars and the moon shining if there are no clouds. It can get pretty dark out. But this darkness is different than we've ever experienced. This, what was on the first day, is pitch blackness, absolute darkness. So if you can try to picture that, this watery, somewhat substantive, formless mass covered with darkness, that's the earth that God made at this time. And if you should ask, what's the connection then between what God made at the first moment of the first day, Genesis verses 1 and 2, what's the connection between that and the rest of what comes in Genesis 1? The connection is this. This formless watery, somewhat physical, black creation is the raw material that God is going to use. And from that raw material, he's going to build and design and create the rest of what he does in the six 24-hour days. God uses this as a raw material, if you will. And it's in that vein that I point out to you what's at the end of verse 2. 
And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The original word there for moved is a hen brooding over its eggs. Everyone can picture that, a hen brooding over its eggs. Holy Spirit, of course, is not a hen, but the idea is of the Holy Spirit moving, brooding over the waters. And what that Spirit of God is going to do in the rest of the first day and the other five days is he's going to bring out of that watery substance, that raw material, finished formed specific parts of the creation and creatures. Holy Spirit, who's the same one who quickens and gives life spiritually, which we'll get to in a moment, is the same one who now broods over the waters and he quickens out of them, gives life to the creation. And do you know who did it all? Who performed this astounding act of creation of that universe? God did it. God. And when we say that God created heaven and earth, we say in the same breath, that evolution is a lie. Evolution, which seeks to give an explanation for the universe, is a lie. Really, what evolution boils down to is a denial of God. And so we say it's wicked unbelief. And evolution teaches that what you see all around you, matter, physical things, That's all there is to your existence, and that's all there is to your life. And evolutionists say that the universe is billions of years old, and through these billions of years, you have this evolution, this process of adaptation, and simple life forms slowly develop over all those years until they become very complex, even to the point that you have a human being who came from who knows what. That's the teaching of evolution. I bring this up because it is taught in Christian schools, Christian colleges. It's, of course, taught in the public school system. And it's really a philosophy, a worldview. Don't let anyone ever fool you into thinking, well, this is just science. It's not. This is a philosophy. Think about it. If all that there is to life is matter, physical things, this, what you see around you, if that's all there is, no wonder the world lives like beasts. No wonder the world gives itself to its sexual lusts in a way that we as an older generation would have never even dreamed that we would see in our life. All the loss, all the wickedness. It's no wonder it comes at least in part out of this whole worldview. You're nothing but a beast, a complex one, coming from who knows where, but that's what you are. 
Believing that lie, the world carries that out in its life. Over against the lie of evolution is the truth. God created the heaven and the earth. What does it teach you that the word God is found in the very first verse of this creation account? That everything we find in Genesis 1 is about him. It's not even about what he made. That's not the focus. It's him. He did it. And what does it teach you that almost the first word of the Bible and in the very first verse of all of Scripture is this name, God, How does that teach you to read the whole rest of the Bible? This way. It's all about him, to his honor and glory forever and ever. Put the magnifying glass upon God. That's what it teaches us. If I asked you to fill in a blank, God is what? How would you fill that in? I think we would struggle to do that. You can't put God in a box. You can't define him like that. And maybe all that we could say is, God is God. He's so great. And even though we struggle, there are a few truths that come out about the Creator God from this text. I mention a few of them to you. First, his power. If he, out of absolute nothingness, made something, that requires nothing less than divine, tremendous, infinite might. And that's who our God is, beloved. A mighty God. Second, we're taught here about his wisdom and skill. And here we come to that word create again that he formed, he fashioned that heaven and that earth. What, what skill of this designer, what, what wisdom, infinitely so. Third, he's eternal. And here, our minds cannot, really none of these, but here especially, our minds simply cannot wrap around this. He made the beginning. He made time. And so what that must mean is that he stands infinitely above time. He's eternal. And when you think of that very first moment of that very first day, which is called the beginning in verse 1, and you go backward from that, if I may even use that language, go backward from that. It's never, children, as if God was born, that he ever became or developed. He never born or became or developed. There was always God. Eternal. Fourth, he's independent. He doesn't depend on the creation. 
He doesn't need the heaven and the earth. The creation depends upon him and the creation needs him. He's the self-existent and self-sufficient, independent God. And then the last truth that comes out, it says God alone. Is there more a forceful proclamation of that congregation than what you find in Genesis 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God. And that opposes with all of its might all of heathendom that throughout the world has said there are many gods and that opposes even you and me when we often bow to gods in our idolatry what men call gods and what we might call gods are no gods at all, but they're but idols and they're manufactured from the very creation he made. He's God and he's God alone. And then you can't but help put an exclamation mark behind it, can you? God created the heaven and the earth. How significant that is. And I give you four points of significance. First, praise him. We have every reason, beloved, this morning to praise this God. Look what he's done. And the effect of this message this morning ought to be that we walk up that aisle with awe in our hearts. What a mighty and wise, eternal, independent God that we serve. He's so great. And we ought to go home and fall on our knees and worship before Him. I think of Revelation 4. Verses 10 and 11, and listen to what the elders are saying around the throne. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Praise Him. And then second of significance is what a comfort we have. What a comfort. I hope what I'm about to say takes your breath away. This God who made all these things with infinite power and wisdom is your God and your Father. Isn't that amazing? Your God and your Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then you understand why the psalmists repeatedly in the Psalms, and we're going to sing one of them after this, the sermon. 121 Psalm. 
I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And for the child of God who knows this is my God and my Father, to know he did that is of such consolation. When you're afraid, you remember, I belong to the maker of the universe. When you are in distress, you recall this to your mind, I'm in the arms of the God who's so powerful that he made heaven and earth out of absolutely nothing. And when I can't make sense of my life, why would this be happening to me? And and how can all these things come together? And, And just trying to understand why I must go through this and that is very difficult for me. When I can't make sense of my life, I remember God who in perfect wisdom fashioned all these things is the God who in that same perfect wisdom has ordered my life from before the foundation of the world. And when your mind rushes with all that's going on in the world, the wars, the rumors of war, the virus... And we feel so helpless, like we're just rushing through this river of time with all the changes in history and all the changes in your life. There's a God, you recall, who has made that beginning and who stands infinitely above and in control of this rushing river of time. Third significance is that this text reminds us of a spiritual work that God does. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Listen for that word create, but it's not in the sense that Genesis 1 speaks of it now. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. What has God done in you and in me, and what has he done in his people of old? He has given to us spiritual existence. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, we who were lying there like a spiritual corpse, God has lifted up and he's made us alive. He has, you might say, recreated us in that divine work which we call regeneration. And Genesis 1 reminds us of that, points us in some ways to that. And the very same Spirit who brooded over those waters and quickened out of them life is the same Spirit who operates powerfully in you and me. And in that moment of regeneration, quickened us, He made us alive. What power of God. Sovereign in creation and sovereign in salvation. And then the fourth and final point of significance from here is God has a plan. Where there's a beginning, verse 1, 
there must be an ending. And where there's a beginning, there has to be a goal toward which everything is heading according to God's sovereign counsel. It's a mistake to think that God had in his plan that there would be this first paradise and that's all that there would be where Adam and Eve lived. And then, well, sin came into the picture and God sort of had to scramble around and he had to make a plan B and that plan B included Christ. That's not how it is. But rather God has one whole plan. And at the center of that whole plan is Jesus Christ. And that plan from eternity is that there should be a fall into sin. That's included in the plan. God is not to blame for that. But we may and must say that it's included in his plan. There should be a fall into sin and that he promises this Savior and then he sends this Savior and then he takes his people who are in the depths and the woe and the misery of their sin and he lifts them up and not only to ground level, but unto highest heights of blessedness, fellowship with Him. You see, God is most glorified in that way of sin and grace. And then, Christ is crucified. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven to be at God's right hand. And God in Christ now works all things down to the very particles of the creation, works everything to head as one irresistible rushing stream to the last day of history, which we'll hear about tonight. That Jesus Christ should come again upon the clouds of glory. That there should be a new heaven, a new earth, far superior to what you see around you now and that we, his servants, should live there forever to glorify God and to worship before the Lamb who saved us and to serve him forever and ever. Where there's a beginning, there must be an end. And Genesis 1 verse 1 reminds us to say what Revelation 22 says, Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, to consider the work of thy fingers is an amazing thing. To consider that thou hast made the heaven and the earth, but then to consider thy work of salvation, which is even so much greater. Thou art a great God and greatly to be praised. We worship before thee today and that by thy grace. We look forward to worshiping before thee in that new creation without sin forever. Lord, press this text upon our hearts by thy spirit the instruction of it not only, but the comfort of it. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.